You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is July 12th, and tomorrow, Atlanta United is going to host Real Salt Lake at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in the second of three consecutive home games. In my opinion, this is just my opinion, if Atlanta United does not get six points from these next two games, it is going to be very, very difficult for it to make the playoffs. So a few facts about this game before we get into today's news. Kickoff will be at 738. The game is on Bally Sports South. Atlanta United is 5-8-5. Real Salt Lake is 8-5-6. Expected goals for the two teams. Atlanta United 27.1 scored or expected to score 27.9 expected against. Real Salt Lake 25.5 and 27.6. In reality, Atlanta United has scored 26 and allowed 29. Real Salt Lake has scored 24 and allowed 24. Players to watch for Real Salt Lake are former Atlanta United player Justin Miram, three goals and three assists. Sergio Cordoba, three goals, one assist. Justin Glad, who may not play, three goals. Your referee is going to be Drew Fisher. Y'all are very much aware of who is out for Atlanta United. Out for Real Salt Lake, Zach Farnsworth, Damar Krylich, Bobby Wood, Anderson Julio, questionable is Justin Glad. My Atlanta United's predicted 11 is in the story headline info to know Atlanta United versus Real Salt Lake. So please go and check on that from my Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC or on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. All right, let's get into the two pieces of news from today before we get into a update on some of the news following Saturday's 3-0 debacle to Austin at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I want to go ahead and tell you, um, we're going to play the entirety of Pineda's interview today. It's about 13 minutes. We're going to play the entirety of Mateus Huzetu's interview, which is around seven minutes, because as was the case on Saturday with their interviews, I think that listening to the entire interview so that you can understand the context of the questions and the context of the answers is very important considering the state of the franchise and where it is right now and the directions it may or may not be heading. Then we're going to go to a break, and then I'm going to answer numerous questions from y'all about the team. And I'm going to read two emails from supporters who I'm going to allow to remain anonymous about the Roe versus Wade questions that many of you are asking of the franchise. So 
The first bit of news today is Atlanta United signed Edwin Mascara, a 20-year-old winger from Columbia who could play on the right or the left. He's going to take up an under-22 slot. He is not yet training with the team, or at least he wasn't today. Maybe he'll start on Thursday or, or Friday ahead of Sunday's game against Orlando. He's right-footed, but he could play on the right or the left. Pineda says they like how he can – his speed allows him to get behind defenders and into primary assist zones. They like um, his defense. He's a young guy. He's yet to score a goal as a professional. He only has four assists and 56 appearances. So right now I'm a little skeptical of how much he's going to be able to provide, but we'll see. It's, you know, every league is different. Every team is different. He may thrive for Atlanta United. I don't know where he's going to play. And we'll get into some of that with some of your questions. The second bit of news today was that for the first time in six years, no Atlanta United players made the MLS All-Star game. Frankly, I don't know who it would have been. Uh, nobody's stats are probably good enough. The closest would be probably Diego Almada or Luis Araujo, but they will not be representing the five stripes at the All-Star game in Los Angeles. So I won't be going to Los Angeles for the All-Star game. All right. Now, just to recap what happened on Saturday before we get into the entirety of the Gonzalo, Gonzalo Pineda interview today. Pineda referenced after the Saturday game, the 3-0 loss to Austin, that he wasn't happy with the team's fight, that he was going to try to put a stronger lineup on the field, that there were a lot of little things that had been going on uh, either during games or in training that had been ignored that were addressed in a 70-minute team meeting after the game. He talked about the team's passion. Then Joseph Martinez kind of echoed that and said he agreed with Pineda that there wasn't enough fight from players that some players he didn't think understood the importance of wearing the Atlanta United kit, that this may be his last year with the five stripes. He seems very frustrated with the direction of the front office. He doesn't like that some players are, are signed for business decisions um, or maybe some players are coming for business decisions and not because they want to play for Atlanta United. So Pineda addressed a lot of this during his interview uh, a lot of the questions were asked by me, some were asked by Joe, and some were asked by uh, Justin. So here's that interview. Uh, what do y'all like about Mascara, and is he going to be able to help the team win points this season? <laughs> I mean, I hope I hope he helps. That's, that's why we signed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he can provide to the team is that type of winger that is always running behind, that type of winger that is explosive, that, that is also very good defensively. We like that he, he works on both sides of the ball. Okay. And, but more than anything, his pace to attack our primacy zones more often. So he can unlock many doors with his pace and, 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 and that just, just putting that threat out there. Uh, I think he can play it on both sides. Okay. That's good. Um, he's right-footed, obviously, but he can play on the left and the right. And, uh, and he's someone that it can be very good for the team. Okay. You... Thank you. You talked on Saturday about uh, wanting to see more fight, uh, I guess more b- better attitude uh, from the guys in training. Have you seen that these past 
two, I guess you've had two sessions, these past two sessions? Yeah, I mean, I want to clarify that because when I said that, um, it's more about in general. It's not about we don't do enough in the training sessions or something like that. Or okay. in the game, we didn't, we didn't try or we didn't fight. It's more the topic of, at times I feel like we go to games trying to be too pretty in our football, but then when the opponent presents that type of fight to us, like we are not up to that intensity. And, and because when you rewatch the game, I mean, the guys never quit. Even with the 3 0, they never quit. They continue trying. They were on the ball and they were overloading the position. We get two chances at the end of the game. So it's not like we quit or we didn't fight. I can see the fight individual. I need more collectively to come to those points where we all work together in, 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 in every phase of the game. So when we're attacking, everybody's focused on attack. When we're defending, everybody's focused on defending. And that's what I meant, like more as a team that, rather than pointing out, pointing out a certain player or something like that. Okay. Well, are you seeing that in the training session? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not easy to see it because it's more region and just tactical things and concepts. So it's not like they're going to work hard and go to the tackles in these few games. Yesterday, the group that did a play, they did a very good session. Uh, it's, it's normal. I think in general, we train very well. I think the standard of the team on training is, and we're very happy. The numbers are there. We, we are one of the best, best teams in the league on, in terms of fitness and how much HID, VHID we produce. So it's not like we don't put the effort. That's, that's not true. We, we do that uh, on the games because we train very good. So I, I think we're okay on that side. You also mentioned a focus on uh, trying to shore up the defense because it has leaked a few goals the past few games. Um, what work have y'all done and might we see a formation change on Wednesday? Might be, might be. We're still thinking about it because of the personnel and, and the options we have. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's in general, whether it's a back four, whether it's a back five, I think we have to see just just um, better understanding of how to defend as a unit and not individually. I think like at times we want to defend just my one-on-one and I have, I'm only focused about this one. And we need to be more focused on collectively how he's pressing there and then we provide cover and how we can be more connected in the back line because at times we look disjointed. So that's more rather than just a specific change in formation or personnel. It's more the understanding of we're defending as a unit and we have to do that. And do you have any comment about Joseph's comments that he made after the game? No. I mean, I mean obviously I have, but I won't go to this think of responding through media and that him and I we have a very good uh, communication he knows how I think I know how he thinks we are always honest with each other and uh, and so if I have any comments to to have about that I will tell directly to Joseph okay yeah. and uh, mascara is one signing might there be any more not that I know okay <laughs> not that I know I think that that should be the last one as far as I know that's uh, we don't have any more space in the, okay, in the roster so. oh. but uh, I can be wrong on that okay uh, this is gonna be a long question but I, I've been thinking about what you were saying post game about how the passion comes first and then the technique and then the tactics and it's kind of built on top of each other I was reading a book by Mauricio Pochettino, his autobiography and he was talking about after a bad loss and he was very frustrated that he couldn't get the team motivated and he talked about he was not able to inspire that passion in his players that allowed them to enjoy the game. And I'm always, he always talks about enjoying the game. Yeah. Um, do you feel like the, the, your players are enjoying the game right now? I mean, I know it's tough when results aren't going their way and things, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, are, are they, do they feel that joy when they go out there? Well, it's not, it's not just a long question, but it's a very good question, actually, <laughs> because it allows me to talk about uh, certain things that I think 
we never enjoy losing and that's what happens and when I've been in many many locker rooms many teams as a player as a coach as an assistant and and I think when you go to this route of everything looks doom and gloom and that you don't enjoy these moments it's, it's in general and that's kind of the passion that you as a coach you need to bring and that fire of guys we have a fantastic job, we are alive, we are, we are healthy, we have so many positives in our lives that, that at times I feel like we feel, in general in football, doom and gloom when, when things are not going well. And there are so many positives in our lives that we just need to come here and enjoy playing around with our friends. And then, yes, when it comes to competition, because at the end of the day, this is a competition, we need to enjoy the competition. And the best way to enjoy the competition is to put everything, everything we have into it. When I, when I was watching back the, the, the film, I didn't feel like there was lack of passion or attitude. I mean, you watch and you watch a tackle from Santi Sosa at the end of the game, on, I think it was um, uh, Driussi, and he was like full of passion, full of energy. Just look at Divara every time he goes, and maybe at times he overcommits, but he goes with it. I, I can see that intention from Alan Franco in the third goal to go there and close down the player. It's not lack of intensity or passion. I think it's collectively, we need to be smarter and all together in that sense of, okay, let's just bring the block together and let's have that fight against a team that maybe doesn't want to come to Mercedes-Benz and play. They want that fight. They want to be in the solid block and collectively being in that fight. And that's what I meant, being ready for that fight, but as a team. So um, obviously I always try to inspire my players and tell them, hey, we're a good team. We're, we're in, in, in good position to, to just turn this around because I feel like we need just one good result to come back to kind of not normal, but a little bit more confident and then enjoying more the game and having more fun out there. And yes, I need uh, Thiago and Marcelino and Joseph and Ronaldo and Luis to have fun out there. But also when we don't have the ball, we need to all work together and we need to come back to, okay, now we don't have the ball, now we have to come back and, and work, work, work. And just, just like Austin did. The Austin, that's what they did very well. They, they all were committed to what they were doing, whether it was offensively or defensively. And that's what I meant with my comments after, afterwards. Um, just one more from me. You know, obviously, with what was said after that game, it's pretty, you know, explosive, I guess, is, is a word. Do you feel like the team is in a better state now um, as opposed to maybe before that game because of what was said and what was shared? I, I think so. I, I truly think that that we are a little bit relieved. Uh, and, and, and I think now we will see the reaction because everything comes to 90 minutes always that's it that's the beautiful thing about football is nothing works the same way twice and and what what you see or you feel that can work we will see tomorrow if if it's going to be better because at times there have been moments where i feel like you know what i don't feel the, the team confident i don't feel and then they do the game against red bulls like what they did and they were super confident on the ball and you're like wow that was a surprise right so you never know when you're going to get a good performance by the team uh, and, and we will see. I think we're in a, in a better shape mentally, like we are kind of, okay, we said what we had to say and now let's move on and let's try to continue winning. At the end of the day, we all want to win here. That, that's, that's the frustrations that you see at players and coaches and all this is because here in this institution, we always want to win and it's not just winning for us. For us, we, we want to win in a very specific way, which is playing, trying to play attractive football. So. Um, and that's where we are right now. Like we continue playing that style 
and we're not getting the results but okay let's let's do our way let's do our way let's let's try to come to a point where when we can play we play good football when it comes to a fight we have to fight and and that's a mentality one for my players go back real quick uh, Doug asked you about Joseph's comments and I know you'll keep your conversations with him private um, but when you hear him you know one of the things that I think stood out to people was saying that maybe some players don't know what it means to have wear this jersey and things like that does it concern you when you hear a player say that publicly um, not really because I think uh, I think we know what we have and, and what you've seen in this franchise at least this year or since I'm here what I've seen is players that care about the jersey and so uh, doesn't concern me. I mean, everyone is responsible for your, for, for your own words. I'm not responsible for those words. And so um, I, think, I think the team is okay. We said what we had to say internally, and I think the, the mentality of the team is better now. Uh, two, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's still a lot of season left, but with two home matches this week, does it, I know it's a cliche, but does it feel like a must-win or certain results that you need to... to get back on the, the right path this week? I mean, I think every game for us is a must win. I mean, I cannot lie to you. We always said, and we I said this since before, uh, we go game, game by game, game by game. And for us, every game, we focus everything we do now is not about Orlando. Everything we do is about us. And we've been doing that since Kansas. Like, we never thought about Colorado before Kansas. So game one for us is a must win. Game two is a must win. Now we're in game, what, 19? It's a must win, and uh, we're at home. It's even more, <laughs> so um, it's not different than anything else in the in the season. Uh, after Saturday, you talked a little bit about how some things were being ignored um, that uh, I guess got talked about in that team meeting on Saturday. Do you regret, I guess, not addressing some of those things earlier in the season? And have, did they contribute to the the current um, form of the team? No, I, I mean. Regretting doesn't, you know, doesn't give you any better feeling. I okay. think uh, it's just more the reflection on, on, on what we do now, what we do now, and how we can move on from, from any little shadow, guys. And again, I've been many, many years in this, and I know at times you are two games away from being back in business, and hopefully, you know, you get first one result now, and then Sunday another good result. And everybody's gonna talk about we being back in the in the season. So it's just this is so fragile and all these moods and things that we say we don't say. At the end of the day, it comes to 90 minutes where our players they need to show passion to win, and that's what I need from all the players that are started. I need to see that, and I think I've seen for most of the games. I think the big majority of the games, if not everyone, that passion and that desire to win. I, I don't see a, a game where we quit, where we gave up. Actually, we have very spectacular uh, comebacks in the games in the last few minutes. So I see that in the team. So that, that talks about a team that is not quitting, and we are certainly not quitting at this point of the season. So, so if I address that or not, and I wasn't just talking about my time, probably since a long time ago, things that have happened to this institution. And I mean, we have to address that now. We have to say something now. And I think that's what we just did. So um, so let's see. Let's move on and let's try to, to focus on the next game. And you also uh, referenced uh, putting out the uh, strongest possible lineup um, after Saturday's game for this game against Real Salt Lake. Um, are there going to be lineup changes. I know you don't like to make massive changes. You've said that in the past. And how much of it is just going to be about the, the 
better fight you've seen in training the past two days from, from some of the players? Well, how much will that factor into who gets selected for the starting 11? Yeah, we have to balance out a little bit certain things. Number one is fitness levels for certain players that are coming back from injuries or things like that. Mental states from certain players as well. Uh, and then we will make a, a decision. I think you might see a few changes or maybe one uh, at least, but uh, we will see tomorrow. Uh, I, I'm still undecided a little bit in a, in a couple of positions, so, okay. so I will see. We were also allowed to speak to Mateus Uzetu today. He's been a captain for the team in quite a few games. He was asked a lot about Pineda's comments on Saturday. His answers, I'll let you listen to your answers and form your own opinion. They were a little bit surprising to some of the, us who cover the team. And here is Huzetu. Mateus, uh, Pineda said after the Austin game that he wanted to see uh, more fight, better attitudes from the players. Do you think that that's happened the past couple of days? I think so. Uh, you know, we know that, that we have to fight more in, in trainings and in the games. Uh, I think in the last three or four games, uh, you've seen that, that we're just making similar mistakes, uh, small details that, that have ended up being very costly. Um, and of course, we, we lost the last home game and, and we know that we, uh, you know, the fans left feeling sad that game. So uh, we're back here now where, uh, you know, we have our heads in the right place. Uh, we just have to work hard, and, and we're trying to, to put a good performance in, in the next match. Why hasn't there been the necessary level of, of fighting for teammates and, and, I guess, positive attitudes? I don't think like that. I think we have our, our heads in the right place. Of, of course, when we lose, you know, guys are upset, um, and there's, there's talk after games. Um, you know, because because we've lost and, and guys are upset. But I think uh, you know we're 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 doing our best, and um, you know we've we just got to keep our our heads in, in the right direction. As a cat, a guy who's been a captain for this team a few times this season, have you spoken to your teammates about how to kind of turn this around, how to try to start getting some points from these games? See, see, non como. Yeah, I think even before the games where I, where I served as a captain, I was always trying to talk to, to all my teammates to, to motivate them, um, to, to try and support them and, and just motivate all the guys on the team. Um, so, you know, I think, I think we're, doing, we're doing well. If you look at the statistics in the games where, um, you know, we have the better of the statistics, um, we just have to turn it into results. Um, so as, as a leader, you know, I have to continue to talk to players and, and try to motivate everyone. What, what can fans expect different from this team on Wednesday as it compares to the game on Saturday? I think that, you know, they're going to see a team that's, that's going to try and go after the game, a team that's going to try to attack, try to score, just like we always do uh, wherever we're playing. I think they'll see a, a motivated team. Uh, we're going to go and, and work hard and, and try to put in a good performance and, and hopefully get, um, you know, results in these next games. Yeah, just kind of following up on that because – Pineda also said on Saturday that the supporters are going to see a much, much different performance, a much, much different team against Real Salt Lake. Um, what specifically do you think he's referring to, and is it sustainable if it hasn't been happening in the previous games? Even, even if the players in the lineup change, um, I, I think, you know, or – Whatever changes there are in the lineup, um, I think you know we have to continue to, to play the way we've um, you know always want to play. 
um, and just focus on us and all have our, our heads in the right place. Um, so, you know, that's what I'm focused on, um, me and, and just, you know, motivating all my teammates. Now, they're a little bit surprising to me because they seem kind of canned, which is not a surprise. But in some areas, it didn't seem like he agreed with Pineda. In some areas, it didn't seem like nothing much is going to change. So we're going to see on Wednesday if it's going to be interesting to see if Atlanta United comes out like a house of fire, if they're going to be able to keep their shape, if they're going to be able to truly play as a team, which is what Pineda said he wants, or if it's going to come down to individual battles, uh, especially on defense, which is what Pineda said he doesn't want. They don't have a Miles Robinson back there who is going to win the majority of one-on-one battles anymore. They've got a bunch of inexperienced players who are going to be good, but right now are learning on the job, and it's very difficult. They've got a defensive midfielder in Franco Ibarra who is trying hard, but against Austin I think had one tackle and was dribbled past five times. That's not going to do a job against anybody. And Real Salt Lake, you can argue, is one of the fightingest teams in Major League Soccer. They are going to bring intensity against Atlanta United because right now Atlanta United has shown, as Pineda has admitted, when other teams bring fight, Atlanta United doesn't match it. So we'll see if, if the team comes out as a, on a house fire, if they can maintain their discipline, that's going to be key. And if they don't come out with intensity, that's not going to bode well for a whole lot of people for a whole lot of reasons. All right, we're going to go to a break. When we come back, I'm going to answer your many, many questions. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. And we're back. And I want to remind you, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. If you subscribe today, you will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week, but we are also throwing in a special limited edition Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution scarf. So sign up now at subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. Before we get to the mailbag, I want to thank y'all. The podcast that went up Sunday was the most listened to this season. Having some news, especially some controversial news helps. But I'm hoping we can top that with this podcast. So please click, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends, if they're Atlanta United supporters, that you need to listen to this podcast to stay up to date on the team. And I and Jay, my producer, would appreciate it. 
All right, let's get into the questions. Alex asks, any indication the new winger, Mascara, means someone is heading out the door? Maybe Moreno so that we can reinvest in central midfield where Huzetu and Abara have been woeful and Hyman and Sosa are still struggling with injuries. That would be a no. I, well, I asked Pineda if there were any more signings, and he said no, they don't have any more slots. I didn't ask him if there were any players leaving. Pineda likes Moreno. Now, Moreno has not started two out of the past three games, but some of that could be load management because the team is in the middle of a glut of games, the toughest stretch of games it has all season. Wednesday's game will be its third in seven days, and then it's got another one on Sunday. And then it goes back to kind of a weekly schedule for a little while before it has a couple more midweek games. I don't see the team trading Moreno unless he continues to not start and then perhaps ask for a trade or a transfer. I don't know if that's in his personality. Um, I don't know if if he's a type of guy who kind of gets into his own head when he's not starting. That was something that Tito Viaba dealt with with Atlanta United when he was no longer starting. He would it would cause him stress. So we'll see, but I don't see the team trading Moreno, especially when it needs all the offense it can get right now. Noah says, what are your three keys to the match for tomorrow's game? Thanks again for your excellent reporting as usual. We appreciate you. Well, thank you, Noah. Uh, really, I've only got two keys, and it's the same keys every game. Atlanta United has to score first because when it does not score first, its record is abysmal. And I'm looking that up for you right now. Uh, the other key is it can't have any mental lapses. It had three against Austin. And once again, three goals allowed. The first goal against Austin, Aid McFadden was trying to play Fagundes to, to make him use his left foot on the inline. It was the smart play. It was probably the scouting report play. But Fagundes kind of fooled him and hit it with the outside of his right foot down the line. And it, somehow it got all the way toward the back post where Caleb Wiley, trying to use his weaker right foot, just kind of missed it, and it was pounced on. The first goal was a turnover in the defensive third. The last goal, Alan Franco probably did not need to sprint over to the left side and leave his man open to pressure the ball. Caleb Wiley was catching up, but George Campbell also was not hustling to get back like he probably should have. Anyway, when Atlanta United concedes first, overall, in its franchise history, it is 6-45-15, which includes 4-12-6 at home. It has got to score first. When it scores first, it is 72-13-17, including 47-4-10 at home. If Real Salt Lake scores first, Atlanta United is going to be in big, big trouble. And if it, as I said, if it loses this game and the Orlando game, Making the playoffs is going to be really, really difficult, mostly because of Atlanta United's road record this year, which also is just not very good. It is 1-6-2 on the road this year. So you can't really count on getting any points from the team when it's on the road. So those are my keys, Noah. Thank you for the question. Jose says he understands that the stats cited by MLS Buzz may need review correction. They are still very bad. Should we realistically expect a change in the front office soon, or is the team going to become the Falcons of MLS where all the issues are visible but no changes are made? So the stat that Jose is citing was tweeted by MLS Buzz after the Austin game that Atlanta United um, had lost one of its past 62 games against playoff teams. It was 
probably not written well. The way it should have been written was, and it's past 62 games, Atlanta United has only beaten one playoff team. Um, and that is, I believe, accurate. I've gone back and looked it up. I, I may be wrong about the 62, but you get the gist of it. That's not good, especially when you have the highest payroll in the league, which also is an indictment of the team and no all-star selections. Um, some of that is just because of injuries. Players haven't been on the field long enough to become, to play, to get enough stats to be considered all-stars. You're not going to see a change in the front office. Boca Negra signed a contract extension in the offseason. As far as the team being the Falcons of Major League Soccer, where all the issues are visible but no changes are made, I don't know. It's too early to tell. Um, but it is clear that from 2020, 2021, 2022, this team has had, even you can argue, parts of 2019, the beginning of 2019, the same issues are plaguing this team over and over again, and the roster has been changed over. The coaches have been changed over. I don't know why the same issues persist. And if it's cultural, if it's a lack of accountability, then it's got to be changed. And, I mean, I, I have an MBA. I earned it from Georgia State. And the one lesson we kept learning over and over and over again is changing the culture of a business and Atlanta United at the end of the day is a business is the hardest thing to do. It has to be done every day. It has to be reinforced every day. Otherwise things will backslide just because of gravity and because of human nature. And right now, the only thing you can point to is it's a cultural issue. So Atlanta United has got to get it fixed. Pineda promises you're going to see more playing as a team on Wednesday against Real Salt Lake, more passion, more aggressiveness, I guess. Although he says the team is always aggressive, I, I disagree with him on that. Um, the, you know, he and the players constantly cite, well, you look at our stats, and we're one of the best teams in Major League Soccer. But a lot of times those stats are coming when they're, when they're trailing games. When – the opponent doesn't have to to press anymore, or they don't have to press high. They can play in low box and just count on Atlanta United not being able to break them down because the team, like a lot of teams, can't break opponents down when they're sitting in, in mid to low blocks. They just can't. A lot of MLS teams can't, but Atlanta United seems especially susceptible. I tweeted this out earlier. If you look at the super majority of Atlanta United's goals, they come from broken plays. So this building out of the back, this tiki-taka, in my opinion, Atlanta United needs to try to bunker and counter. Get a goal, and then they can play possession-based. Get a lead, then they can play possession-based. They have the quality to do that. They have the speed to do that. If you think back to the playoffs, the MLS Cup, if you think back to some of the team's biggest wins, they were bunker and counter wins. And a lot of that was because they had Almiron in the middle, who was a one-man wrecking crew. But I'm sorry, Almiron. But Diego Almada, Luis Arujo, they're, they're those types of players. They can do that. And right now, getting points, the team has got to get points any way possible. Adam says, the issue of leadership came up during your last podcast, including references to Jeff Lerowitz's abilities in this sense when he played and how Ozzy Alonso was brought in this season to help in a similar fashion. Obviously, Ozzy's injury ends his on-field service. But is he still hanging around the team? And if so, is he helping to mold some chemistry, pass on leadership skills, et cetera? That's a really good question. Um, I'll, to be perfectly honest with you, we see Brad Guzan out training, 
We see Andrew Gutman, or out rehabbing, I should say. Dylan Castanera, Andrew Gutman. I haven't seen Ozzy Alonso in a long time. We saw Miles Robinson for a while. I haven't seen Robinson in a long time either. That doesn't mean they're not there. We just may not be seeing them yet. Their timetables may be different for their recoveries compared to some other players. Um, so I, can, I don't know if he is or he isn't. I know that Pineda said he would be when he suffered, when Alonzo suffered his injury in early April against D.C. United. But I, I haven't seen him. John asks, why do we try building out of the back when we don't have players who can handle the ball well enough to make that effective? Is this a case of the, case of the coach trying to fit players into his system rather than the other way around? We obviously need some different players. We can get these type of results a lot cheaper. Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra have spent the last couple of years trying to bring in players, but there doesn't seem to be any coherent plan based on style of play. Well, the coherent plan is to play out of the back. But right now, no one, no one would have assumed before the season that you're going to have Aiden McFadden starting at right back, Caleb Wiley starting at left back, Abara starting consistently as your defensive midfielder. You probably would have assumed either Alan Franco or George Campbell in starting 11 alongside Miles Robinson. You wouldn't have assumed Rocco Rios Novo in goal. So now it's almost too late to try to change the style of play for Atlanta United. And I know I just advocated them doing that. Um, I think they could have worked on bunkering and countering during the most recent international break, but it doesn't appear that they did. So I think they're just going to keep working with this, hoping that Gutman can come back hoping that, that Lennon or, or Hernandez can come back by the end of the season, though I think that's doubtful, and the team can start to try to rebuild itself again. Greg asks, this is a long question, what part of this team is Pineda's? I hear a lot of people wiping him out, but a lot of the same issues of inconsistency over the past three seasons have been with the same group of players and same issues, not being able to score goals, mental mistakes late in games. Frank, Glass, Heinze, all had issues motivating, creating an identity. During his first full season as head coach, there will be some learning curves for Pineda. He needs to learn how to mix his schemes with the ability of the current team until he can build a team around his playing style. I think about this as a new college football coach. Changing the offense to a spread and taking about three years for his recruits to fill into his scheme. If we get a new coach every year because we cry about losing, then the cycle begins and again and then no good coach wants to come here, so we'll be stuck with subpar coaches or coaches getting their big break. Tata came to Atlanta with a bind full of players he wanted for his style. I believe the same is true for Frank DeBoer with his Ajax team. Remember, Bill Belichick struggled at the Browns before he came to the Patriots. Nick Saban was playing 500 ball in his first four seasons as coach. There's a difference between a CEO who makes a startup successful and a CEO who takes that startup to the next level. I think you're right. That's why I don't think that Pineda is going to be terminated by Atlanta United. The only way it would happen is if he loses the players, and I don't think he's lost the players. I don't think he's come close to losing the players. I just think like previous managers, he's finding it difficult to figure out the personality of this team and a way to consistently get points. It's a, it's a weird problem. There's just something very odd about this team. And he continues, the five, stri the five stripes are still young in their MLS tenure. We will have more seasons like this and more seasons like 2018 too. 
This is MLS where dominance is streaky. This is not like the EPL where dominance is expected. And please answer me, what position does Campbell play? Well, he's a center back. The amount of times my novice football fan self saw his bleached hair mixed up with the midfield was too much to count. Maybe because he had to carry the ball up since no one was making movement to help beat the press. Uh, no, that is exactly why. Um, after those first five minutes against Austin, in which the team really moved well, it stopped after Austin's goal. The team seemed to lose confidence. It seemed to lose its aggressiveness. And a lot of the time it was just players were standing around. And Huzetu and Ibarra don't move the ball forward very often. They don't play vertically. And maybe part of that is because people, players aren't making runs. And maybe part of that is players were making runs and they're not getting the ball, so they just kind of stop because they know I'm not getting the ball. I don't know what the exact reasons are. But that's why Campbell will bring it up. If the opponent's going to give it to him, he's going to bring it. Now, you could also recognize or say – Maybe the opponent is hoping Campbell will bring it up, hoping there will be a turnover, and then Campbell's out of position and they'll start a counterattack. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what Real Salt Lake does. Pat says, I would love to see more of the Dom Dwyer-Joseph Martinez combo as their runs seem to complement each other well and create confusion among the de- defense. I was surprised we did not see Dom subbed on against Austin, but maybe after the third goal, Pineda was wanting to make sure the game did not go the way of D.C. on Friday. I felt the first and third goals were direct results of not tracking runners, and for that there is no excuse. I think some tough love might be in store this week, but I predict a fire up, fired-up performance versus Real Salt Lake. And Pat says he remains united. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, tracking runners has been a problem for this team for a couple of years. If you go back and watch the NYCFC game, even on that short field, it was stunning how many times NYCFC was able to get runners behind it, lending out his defense, and get the balls passed into space. Um, whereas Austin really attacked Caleb Wiley, NYCFC really attacked Aiden McFadden. And really, it just depends on which side of the opponent's formation is the strongest. Whichever side that is, that's the fullback they're going to go after because they know they're inexperienced and they're learning on the job. Ben says... I am slowly working my way through my frustrations from Saturday's match and realized my question on Sunday's podcast about Pineda resigning was a little misguided. He has made some questionable selections and tactical plans when it is obvious he does not have the players to perform what he wants. I realize my frustration is really with the front office. Do you think Bocanegra is on the hot seat? I do not. I fear if the team makes the playoffs, which is highly unlikely at this point, that Bocanegra will be back next season. Do you think the front office will change its strategy to more balanced roster building strategy versus the young lottery ticket rosters that have been built recently? I don't think so. Once you have a philosophy, you try to stick with it. Again, this team, even now, you look at the talent and you think, well, it should be outscoring teams, but it's not. As was pointed out on the Sunday podcast, Hazetu and Abara have a combined salary of $1 million. So you've got them, Moreno, Ameda, Joseph, Araujo. That's $40 million in transfer fees. You've got Alan Franco, who was once a DP. The team should have done better against Austin, but it didn't. As soon as Austin scored that first goal, as has been the case in franchise history, you've heard the stats, this team struggles. I don't know why. Hudson asks, Looking back now, do you think that trading Jake Mulraney might have hurt us more than we thought it would have? Having players like him, I think, would help us a lot right now in the situation we are in. I do. 
Um, I like Mulraney. I know that some people did not like him, but he was always willing to take on a defender and he could usually beat them. He's fast enough to make the opposing fullbacks have to account for him. And he could put in crosses. But he was traded to Orlando. I don't know if he asked for the trade, if he was tired of not playing or not consistently playing. I know he had big hopes to become a starter for Atlanta United, and it didn't happen. But yes, I agree with you, Hudson. Joe asks, who would make a better Atlanta United general manager, Jeff Lernowitz or Michael Parkhurst? (laughs) That's an interesting question. I think probably Parkhurst. I know he has a lot of myriad business interests, including starting that USL club uh, in his home state of Rhode Island. So I think he probably has a little bit more business acumen, which may translate into better salary cap decisions. But Jeff Lernowitz was also on the players union. He knows MLS rules like the back of his hand because he's helped shape them along with the other players. So either one would be a good GM, I think. Henry, I'm only going to ask two of your questions because I've already addressed one. But continuing, how much change can we realistically expect between Saturday's game and tomorrow? I just, I don't, I don't think much. If it hasn't happened yet, I don't know why it's going to happen now. And even if it does happen now, is it sustainable? I I really, I don't think it is. Um, If it hasn't happened through 18 games, I don't know why a flip is going or switch is going to be flipped now and they're going to be able to do it for the remaining 16 games. But we'll see. They are professionals. They do have pride. Some of them are probably playing for contracts. We'll see. Can the team truly improve defensively without any more signings? It can. It, it you know, Pineda said Saturday, first he's going to work on passion, then they're going to work on technique, then they're going to work on tactics. He clarified that today. He said he thinks the team, the players do have passion. The techniques comment was one he's made frequently about if you can't complete a five-yard pass, tactics don't matter. So we'll see. We'll we'll see. I'm skeptical. Okay, now the last two are about the Roe v. Wade lack of statement from Atlanta United. And uh, I'm going to read these two emails, and then I'm going to give you my theory as to why the club has not put out a statement. These are both anonymous. Um, I didn't want to get the – I just wanted to protect them. So they're long, so please stick with me because uh, they're obviously important to a lot of you out there. I've seen your tweets. I've seen your aggravation with the club. So here we go. First, hey, Doug, thank you for all you do to cover Atlanta United. You are the reason I have an AJC subscription. No exaggeration. Thank you. This will be a weird message, but I have some thoughts I can't shake and needed an outlet. I'm a founding member. We have been committed from day one, and we've spent the money to back it up. The cultural and stagnation issues in the team are deep but fixable. However, I also see deep cultural and stagnation issues in the supporters, which bothers me more. The protests for the first seven and a half minutes of Saturday's game was kind of a watershed moment from the supporters as much as the 0-3 scoreline on the pitch. Now, I will point out, the supporters have done this before. I can't remember the game or the reason, but they have done this before. He continues, If the national statistics hold, at least 40% of the Atlanta United fan base do not want to protest the SCOTUS decision 
or want the club to take a stance, me included. I don't dare say this to any of the supporter groups directly, as Resurgence even tweeted that no complaints would be tolerated. The original culture of Atlanta United supporters was basically wildly different people uniting to support a soccer club. I fear this too is lost. Related but separate is just the stagnation of the game day experience and supporter groups in general. My daughter and I watch a lot of MLS together and we discuss all the cool and changing things other supporter groups do. Simple stuff like the announcer calls the first name and the crowd chants the last name for starting lineups and goal scorers. However, I fear I've digressed too much into wasting your time, assuming you've made it this far. I just wanted to give you another angle I've noticed on the lost culture. I don't think it's just on the pitch. I believe it's spread from through the Atlanta United staff responsible for game day and the supporters groups. However, as the supporter groups move to more issue-based political stances, where does an East Cobb father go to express his frustrations? You seem like a safe place. If you stuck with the rant this long, thanks for listening. And I did ask for permission from this person to read this, and he, he granted it as long as he could remain anonymous. The next one is also, again, as I said, another anonymous. I'm a listener and avid supporter of the team. I want to share my opinion about Saturday's TIFO and lack of supporters group support for the team at Saturday's game. I don't expect you to talk about it in your podcast. You may if you want. My goal is to be heard. Before the team was born, Arthur Blank talked about the significance of using United as a part of the team's name as a reflection and sign of unity in Atlanta. I think it was wise of him to do that. It is no secret our society is highly polarized. Sports is one of the few places with very different values and worldviews can come together and unite around a common cause. That unity around a team may never result in a change regarding other aspects of life, but at least it offers the possibility for civil and respectful dialogue. The decision of the leaders of the supporter groups to take a side on a civil issue and portray it as if it represented the views of all their members is inaccurate and incorrect. The decision not to support the team in a game where much support was needed hurt the team on the pitch. It was bad in both respects. The damage of such a decision goes beyond the pitch on game day. Will the kids whose parents' views do not align with the view of the elite at the supporters' groups be afraid to participate in activities sponsored by the group, so groups for fear of repercussion or shaming? Will the nonprofit supporters' support have to align with the political views of the group? Will membership to the supporters groups be restricted based on non-soccer-related issues? I hope in the future, Arthur Blank's vision of a city united around soccer will guide the decisions of the supporters. Thank you for listening. Now, both of these letters obviously were not in support of the supporters groups exercising their rights as American citizens to protest both Roe v. Wade and Atlanta United's decision to not issue a statement about the Supreme Court decision. Other clubs have across a variety of, of professional sports leagues. I haven't received any emails about asking why the club has it. I've seen lots of tweets. So that side is out there. I don't want them to feel like I'm not representing them. I'm trying to represent both sides of this. So here's why I think Atlanta United has not issued a statement. In the past, regarding political issues, Arthur Blank himself has issued statements. I believe one was about the state of Georgia trying to restrict voting rights. There's been a few other issues. I believe he put out one about Black Lives Matters. 
So I believe Atlanta United and the Atlanta Falcons both are won't issue statements because they feel that it's up to their owner to be the voice of the franchises regarding these very, very important political matters. It seems that because Mr. Blank has not issued a statement yet, and it's been, what, three weeks, uh, he is not going to. So I would not expect Atlanta United to issue any statement about this. That's my take on it. Do I agree with it? You know, I'm a journalist. Everyone has a right to say or not say what they want. It's uh, it's a polarizing issue, um, and obviously, it, it's it's got members of Atlanta United's fan base, rightfully on either side, concerned. Um, so, I hope that everyone can. Just have healthy dialogues, whatever side they're on, whomever they're talking to about these very, very important issues. We're going to wrap up the Southern Fried Soccer podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. Hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones, and y'all take care. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluesty, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Journal-Constitution.